Probably everybody in this room knows something about him. And uh, maybe even a few of the supporting characters in his story. Uh, maybe you know about the giant who made him famous or the woman who made him fall. Maybe you know a little bit about the father who tried to hide him or the woman or the uh, king who tried to kill him. Maybe you know about the brothers who opposed him or the prophet who anointed him. You might have heard about the army who served him or the people who sang about him. You might have heard. But you do know something about him because his influence is everywhere. Not just in a few chapters of the Bible, but his influence is found in some of the most significant moments of our lives today. Two times in scripture he is referred to as a man after God's own heart. And it's certainly not because he was perfect. At the point of his greatest failure, he was both an adulterer and a murderer. So this man was far, far from perfect. But he was quick to repent and our gracious God was quick to forgive. Because despite all his deficiencies, this man's greatest desire was always to live in God's presence. He was a worshiper first and a warrior second. His most famous battle, you know it, it was with the giant Goliath when he was just a young man. Everyone knew that he was the least qualified to fight Israel's gargantuan opponent because when everyone else compared armor and weapons, they were sorely outnumbered. Even Goliath laughed when David stepped out on the battlefield. But on that day, all of them were looking at the wrong thing. They had no idea who they were actually dealing with. The battle that defined David's life was not between a massive giant and a little boy. It was a battle between a tiny giant and a massive eternal God. Keep that in mind the next time life turns you inside out and upside down. Your battles are not between your circumstance and little old you. They're between your circumstance and your great God. That's, that's who's on your side. So yes, you certainly know him because of a slingshot. But you should know him because of a harp. Because that battle with Goliath, it wasn't, one, it wasn't won in the Valley of Elah. That's only where that battle was fought. That battle was actually won years before in the shepherd's fields outside of Bethlehem because that's where little David learned to tend sheep and where teenage David spent endless hours strumming his harp and writing songs to his God. It wasn't his slingshot that made David a man after God's own heart. It was his harp. It was his songs. It was his heart. It was his worship. And we still sing some of them today. I used to be able to strum a few chords on this when I first came back from Israel years ago. And I tried this morning and it's out of tune and I'm out of tune. I'm not going to try, but I will tell you that we still sing some of the songs that David wrote. It's amazing. 
as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. We sing, better is one day in your Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. We sing, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Oh, my goodness. That's how he won that battle. It wasn't a slingshot. It was a harp. It didn't happen in the instant, in the moment. It was because David had carved out a relationship with God years before. And on that day when he walked on that battlefield and the odds were against him and he looked so ill-equipped to do anything that could bring any kind of victory, David was actually the man to beat. He was actually the man in charge because God was with him because he had been with God. So I'm glad for that harp. You, you know him for his slingshot. You, you should know him for his harp. His harp still affects us today. One of the things David can never quite figure out, though, in all of his songwriting, is how a God so great could ever be interested in a man so small long before there were scientists around to tell us just how tiny we are in relationship to our universe, there was scripture. And David's harp songs are part of that scripture penned by the young shepherd who became Israel's beloved king. And he wrote, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Thou hast set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings has thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou might still the enemy and the avenger. And then he says, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? and the son of man that thou visitest him. You've made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. You put all things under his feet. It's David's big question. When I consider the heavens, what is man? When I consider, God, the work of your hands, what is man? When I consider the moon, and the stars, and I walk at night, and I look up into the heavens. What is man? Why would you even bother? Why are you even mindful of me, God? Why would you even visit me? Why would you even receive my worship? You're so great, and I'm so insignificant. Man is lower than the angels. And yet you give him control over your creation. You crown him with your glory and you honor him with your presence. Why, God? 
Why? It doesn't even make sense at all. You're so big and we're so small. You're so faithful and we're so fickle. You are so righteous and we are so unrighteous. Why, God? Why? That's David's question. What is man to a God like that? What is a little insignificant man? You see, you've been worshiping God in this room this morning. We felt his presence already. I picked up an old harp that I can't even play and started to sing a few lines of scripture and his presence washed in over us as you began to sing. That's our God. Our God is more massive than our wildest imagination. Our God is bigger than the biggest words and the greatest worship songs we could ever write to describe him. Our God is constantly consistent. He could blink his eye and your lifetime would be gone. To him one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day, which means he can wait out your adversary and he can bring you a truckload of deliverance in a second in a service just like this. Who? You could write all of human history on God's little tiny pinky and, and you'd still have room left over for more because he's massive. He's amazing. Our God has no dilemmas. He has no quandaries. Our God needs no counselors. He's never hired an advisor. He doesn't have any problems up in heaven. There are no shortages in his bank accounts. He's never had a fear. He's never had a panic attack. He's never had a moment of anxiety or one second of worry because our God has no rivals. He has no equals. He is large and he is in charge. And the best news of all on a beautiful Sunday morning is that he is here right now with his people and where he is anything is possible he is self-existent I'm not he's self-contained I'm not he's self-perpetuated and self-powered I'm not I need air I need sunlight I need oxygen I need so many things but our God, he consists in and of himself. He's God and he knows he's God and there's no foe, no enemy, no adversary, no evil. Nothing can befall his people but what he gets to pass it through his hand and through his will. I'm grateful for a God like that. Our God is not just powerful, he's filled with character. He is faultless and he is ageless and he's timeless and he's changeless. That's a good one because you and I, we change a lot. You ever had a friend and you thought you could depend on him and then it's just like you were leaning on something that gave way. You, you ever had a situation you thought was stable and you went back to it and, and it was going to cause you grief and cause you problems, maybe even losses because things are so changeable in life. If we've ever learned how unstable our little human existence is, it's been over the past couple of years when everything turns upside down and we hardly know what way is right and what way is best, and, but not God. He never changes. He's ever living. He's never dying. After an eternity of being the God of all the universe, he doesn't even show any signs of wear and tear after being everywhere present and nowhere absent for thousands of years, he's not even tired. Ha, 
He has no needs. He has no deficiencies. His accounts are all in the black. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And one old preacher says, he owns all the hills those cows are standing on. This is the God you've been worshiping this morning. Aren't you grateful you know him? Aren't you grateful you serve him? Aren't you grateful he's in the middle of your life? A God like that, he does whatever he wants. You cannot stop him. You can try, knock yourself out. You can't stop him. You can't outrun him. You can't refute him. You can't contain him. Because our God has never needed a teacher. He's never had to hire a therapist. He's never needed to borrow money from a friend. He's never had a doctor. Nothing is hidden from him. He wrestles with no mysteries. He has the answer to every question and his rule and his reign are unrivaled in history and unrivaled in eternity. This God you've been worshiping this morning, this God whose presence is manifest in this building he sits alone on an everlasting throne and his kingdom has no end. He has never feared a power struggle or a hostile takeover. He has never had to watch his back. He has no equal. He has no peer. He has no competition. And we know him by his name. And it's an honor to serve our great God. He's unparalleled, folks. He's unprecedented. He's matchless and limitless. He's indescribable. And he's incomprehensible. He's untamable. And he's also uncontainable. If you've got his spirit in your life, every once in a while it just has to come out. Every once in a while you just have to worship. Every, every once in a while, you just have to lift up your voice. When my great uncle Leonard Parent first saw the revelation of the mighty God in Christ, he saw it in his Bible as he was studying. A preacher had preached it that morning in the state of Michigan. It's way back in the 1930s, and he didn't understand. He was actually kind of critical of the preacher that morning. And he went home and he opened his Bible and he began to study. And later he would tell his kids for years after, the revelation got so big, I had to go outside and worship God. Sometimes when you think about God, you just got to lift your hands. You just got to lift your voice. You just got to use your little mind to string some words together in your limited vocabulary and use your frail little voice to say, God, you're great. God, you're worthy. God, I honor you. God, I lift you up. There's nothing as freeing as the moving manifest presence of Almighty God and you, you're you're just man, you're just woman, but you get to call his presence to your side every time you worship. Who? Ha ha. Ah. 
Don't, don't mind my voice. I've had a, a bad cold this week. Don't mind my voice. I'm just man. I'm a little frail and fragile. His voice is here in this sanctuary. If you could hear his voice, his voice could change your life. His voice could turn every enemy back and open a way where there seems to be no way and knock down mountains and lift up valleys and banish depression and heal your body and turn your life around. He's that great. He's that big. He's that powerful. Whew. My, my, my. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. One preacher said you can't get him off of your mind and you can't get him off of your hands either. And God created you with a little flaw, you were created to feel empty, unfulfilled, always searching, never quite content until you know him. You've got a built-in flaw. You'll never feel fulfilled until you know him. You'll never be content no matter how much you achieve or how much you accumulate. You'll never be quite fulfilled or quite content until you know him. He made you that way. Somebody say, that's my God. Mm. That's God. But what is man? I'm just tiny, a minuscule, transient in the scale of the universe, I'm microscopic. I'm a momentary, infinitesimal blip on the timeline of history. I'm a bag of skin and bones and blood. That's all I am. Just a collection of particles of dust held together by the breath of God. The sum of my days is like a vapor that passes away. And my accumulated life's efforts are like chaff that's blown away in the wind. What is man, David said. You see, among human beings, even the richest of the rich own nothing compared to God. The strongest of the strong among us can be felled by one faltering heartbeat. One rogue batch of cells can do us in. One organ failure, one aggressive disease, one random accident because we are fleeting mortals. We are frail flesh. We are little specks in the universe. I was talking with pastor and sister Mickey last night by text and she said a couple of profound things. She said our humanity plays tricks on us as though it's going to live forever. We're not going to live forever, not down here. But our humanity plays tricks on us and, and we think we're real strong. And because we do, our priorities get all out of whack and our decisions become so short-sighted and we senselessly squander so many precious eternal moments that God gives us. And all the while, she said, God is the one in charge of life and breath and death. Aren't you glad you know him? Wouldn't it be pointless and hopeless without him? But isn't it so meaningful and isn't it so rewarding with him? 
This is the God you've been worshiping today. David said, what is man? When you can look at God, when you consider God, when you feel a touch of God's presence, what is man? David, you were right. There's just no way to understand why a God like that would be interested in a man like me. And yet, and yet, he is. But David, you missed something. You said, thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. This is what you said, David. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Now that doesn't make sense, David. That can't possibly be true. That all things are under the feet of man. There's no way everything in this life is under my feet. Too many things scare me. Too many things can hurt me. Too many things tempt me. Too many things can kill me. All things under his feet? I don't think so, David. You're wrong. Nice words. Nice song. Not true. Not true. But wait a minute. There's something more here. You couldn't have known it, David, but yet somehow you caught just a shadowy glimpse of it. One of your own descendants would make sense out of your song. He would fulfill your words and he would accomplish what you could only dream of. Let's look. An anonymous writer, a thousand years after you laid down your pen for the final time, is quoting your song to a church of the Hebrew persuasion. And here's what he says. We don't even know this man's name. But one in a certain place, he's talking about you, David. He testified, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Isn't that nice, David? He's quoting you. Or the son of man that thou visitest him. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, if he put it all under his feet, then he left nothing that is not put under him. It's, it's one way or the other. Either it's all under his feet or it's not. You can't have it both ways. But now we see not yet all things put under him. So see, David, he admits it right there. If all things are in subjection to man, then nothing should be included, excluded from that. And yet I can look around any day of my life and I can see many things that are not under me. In fact, on a lot of days, it feels like there's a lot of things actually over me. They cause me grief and they make me stumble and they bring me pain and confusion and they create hurt. And I have so many questions and it doesn't seem like everything's under my feet. It seems like a lot of things are piling on top of me day after day. So I agree with him, not you, David. He says, but now we see not yet all things put under him. It hasn't happened yet. There it is. Not yet. There's something more than right now. There's something more than just here. 
There's something greater than just this life. There's something more for man. There is something better than this. Yes, there is something better than this, but it's not something, it's someone. David, he added a verse to your song, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. See, David, you didn't even realize it, but you were writing about your descendant, Israel's Messiah, our Savior, our Lord and Almighty God. You were writing about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's the one who was made low and then exalted high. He's the one who tasted an agonizing death on Calvary so he could bring all of us abundant life for eternity. He is the God who loved man so much that he became a man so we could be restored to our relationship with him. What is man? Man is so valuable to God that God became one of us so he could take us to where he is through his eternal, forgiving, liberating, delivering sacrifice. Aren't you glad you know him? Oh, David knew his familiar presence, but you know his name. David knew what it was to feel God's spirit around him, but you know what it is to have God's spirit live within you. You're far more privileged than David. You may not be able to play a harp. You might not be even able to carry a tune, but there needs to be something of gratitude in your soul that every once in a while, it just lifts you into a place of worship and you say, oh God, what is man? What am I? Who am I that you would be mindful of me? But I'm so glad you came and I'm so glad you gave and I'm so glad you're here and I'm so glad you love and I'm so glad you forgive oh my <laughs> something else you wrote there David you said out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength that's powerful words, David. And your descendant, our Savior, he quoted those very words on the day that he rode into Jerusalem. He knew he was on his way to Calvary to give his life, to shed his blood, to turn this curse around, to make a way so we could be restored. And he quoted you, David, on that day. They said to him, don't you hear what these say? Don't you hear Jesus, all these kids making all this racket and shouting Hosanna and the commotion and the chaos and the palm branches and don't you hear this? Jesus, aren't you gonna shut them down and shut them up, tell them to be quiet? Jesus said, haven't you ever read David's words? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou perfected praise. David, you said, ordained strength. But Jesus said, perfected praise. He wasn't contradicting you. He was confirming you because you taught us with that harp. 
Wherever there's praise, there's strength. Wherever there's praise, there's power. Wherever there's praise, there's God's presence. So he wasn't contradicting you, David. He was amplifying you. Let me tell this great church this morning on this beautiful Sunday that if you could ever get yourself into a place of praise, you just walked into a place of strength. If you could ever get yourself into a place of praise, you just stepped into a place of deliverance. If you could ever get yourself into a place of praise, that's the doorway to God's presence. That's the doorway to forgiveness. That's the doorway to everything you've ever needed and everything you've ever wanted. Where there's praise, there's strength. I wish somebody at the end of this sermon would lift up your hands and your voice. I wish somebody would lift up your words and give God praise in this room. Music team, come on back. Lift up the Lord, church. He's so good. He's so good. Whenever you reach out to him, he will respond. David, you said it. You said it. You said it. He's going to ordain strength. He's going to perfect praise. Power lies where the praise lies. I worship you, Jesus. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. I came to this service literally trembling with excitement and anticipation because I just knew God's presence was going to be here in a manifest way. And this little word's been chewing me up for a couple of days. What is man that thou art mindful of him? We can look at God and say, he's too big. He's not interested. But the truth is, he's right here. He's for you. He's with you. He wants to minister to you even today. Would you stand with me? Let your hands keep on going and let your voice ascend higher than those hands. Fill this sanctuary with praise to a God like that. Uh, 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 yes, yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. God said, there's strength where there's praise. And some of us, we need strength. It's been a rough week. It's been a hard month. It's been a difficult year. It's been a treacherous season. And we're hurting and we're questioning and we're confused. We feel lonely and exhausted and overwrought and overwhelmed and anxious. But if you can just get in that place of praise, there's strength. It's counterintuitive. You would never do it out of your human understanding. But then again, what is man? You're really going to figure out eternal salvation and your spiritual deliverance? You can't. What is man? But he's already got it figured out and he's already got it paid for. Your salvation was paid for by his shed blood. Your healing was paid for by the stripes that were laid on his back.
So whatever you need, it's in his presence. It's in his presence. Pastor Raymond preached short tonight or today. Don't get used to it. But I did because I want us to have a chance to just be in his presence for a few moments. You know how you feel when you have little kids, when you have grandkids you haven't seen for a while and you walk in the door and one of them starts running. There's no better feeling in the whole wide world than that. Grandbody! I'll leave the 99 and go for the one, just like Jesus. You know what that feels like? Let me tell you, you're created in the image of God. It feels the same to him. I'm not trying to make a big scene. I'm not asking you to run. But I would ask you to step out of where you're standing and just make a move toward him today. And I'd love to fill the altar in the aisles today with people that just say, what is man that you're even mindful of me, but yet here you are, Jesus, and here I am. Because if you can get yourself in a place of praise today, you don't know what blessing you could walk out of here with. You don't know what healing you could walk out of here with. You don't know how God could turn it around. You have no idea. Would you just kind of run for him today? Church, everybody that would help me. Those of you that are coming to the front, just keep coming. Let's, let, let's leave the aisles open and let people come and fill in here. Jesus wants to heal somebody today. I just know it. Jesus wants to deliver somebody from something today. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's anxiety. I don't know what it is, but I, I just, I, I came to this building just trembling with anticipation. Now lift up your hands like a little child lifting up for their heavenly father and just begin to worship him. I'm not asking you to do anything weird. Just love on him. Just worship him. Just let his presence wash over you. There's healing coming in that presence. There's deliverance coming in that presence. I wish somebody would break the post-COVID paranoia and just push yourself into the presence of God. Don't hang back when Jesus did so much for us. Sing. Let's worship, church. Let's pray. Let them sing. You worship God. Praise Him. Lift up His name.